BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California is on the brink of recording its one millionth COVID infection. That's more than any other state except Texas. This grim milestone has been accelerated by the virus's recent spread, with more than 6,000 new daily cases recorded in the state over the past week. And as cases mount, hospitals are seeing a 38% increase in hospitalizations compared to a couple of weeks back. Public health officials are pleading with Californians to avoid gatherings and limit travel as the holiday season approaches. As Dr. Mark Galley of California's Health and Human Services Department has said, the virus is not over just because we're tired of it. Let's turn to politics. As Joe Biden prepares to assume the presidency, he's tapping more Californians to help with his transition. Phil Washington, the CEO of Metro, LA County's transit agency, has been tapped to lead a group of experts handling transportation issues. Washington is overseeing the expansion of LA's subway and light rail system. And Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the State Board of Education, has been picked to head the education transition team for Biden. Darling-Hammond has long been an advocate for the professional development of teachers. Moving on, Republicans and conservative groups continue to make unproven claims about voter fraud in Nevada's presidential election. CAP Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols has a reality check. Last week, President Donald Trump's campaign and Nevada Republicans claimed that thousands of people who moved out of Nevada still voted there in the election. They even published a list of these allegedly fraudulent voters. The problem? Some of them are members of the military deployed overseas. Others are likely students from Nevada going to college in another state, potentially in California, or people who have moved out of the state within 30 days. All three groups were allowed to vote in Nevada's election. Fred Lockin is a political science professor at Truckee Meadows Community College in Reno. He described the claim that Californians may have fraudulently voted in large numbers in Nevada as not accurate and simply noise. He noted that Biden has a 36,000 vote lead in the state. You need to be finding things of consequence that would suggest to me that you could somehow alter the outcome of the election. Uh, And at this point in time, I haven't heard anything that is other than unique or anecdotal. This week, the conservative watchdog group Election Integrity Project claimed that more than 1,400 Californians may have unlawfully voted in Nevada. It sent its findings to the Nevada Secretary of State's office, which says it will thoroughly investigate all credible allegations of wrongdoing. It notes, however, that many voter fraud complaints lack any evidence. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. 
As President Trump refuses to concede defeat in last week's election, the law firm Jones Day is in the spotlight for representing Republican interests in that fight. The unwelcome press attention is renewing scrutiny into Jones Day's role in a legal case much closer to home. The California Report's co-host Lily Jamali has more. This was the scene this past weekend outside of Jones Day's headquarters in downtown San Francisco, where activists painted the words count every ballot on the block outside the building. But for the last two years in a courtroom a mile away, Jones Day played a much quieter but critical role in the bankruptcy of PG&E. When it entered Chapter 11, PG&E cited billions in liabilities to victims of wildfires it caused. Jones Day represented Wall Street hedge funds who owned blocks of PG&E stock. In theory, those shareholders would have been at the back of the line, behind fire victims in the bankruptcy pecking order. But an attorney for fire victims, Tom Tosdall, says that's not what happened. The shareholders, in my view, were instrumental in cheating fire victims out of what had been promised them. Tosdall says those hedge funds, Jones Day's clients, walked away with billions in cash, leaving less for fire victims. Any law firm playing in that world of bankruptcy, that's how they play. It's Let's make a deal that pretends that the company will come out healthy and doesn't matter who profits, who loses. Jones Day had no comment on questions about its role in the bankruptcy. And PG&E has long touted the multi-billion dollar settlement with fire victims as fair. The end is coming. The end of the noise and lies. The end of the chaos and division. The end of the hate. The social media-savvy band of never-Trump Republicans known as the Lincoln Project, which produced viral videos during the presidential campaign, is now launching a push to shame Jones Day and other firms helping Trump. And it's not just Jones Day. The Lincoln Project plans to target the clients it represents, too. But UC Hastings law professor David Levine says shaming law firms for the clients they take on can be a slippery slope because even the unpopular are entitled to representation. In the long run, that's bad for the legal system. That's bad for uh, much less powerful lawyers. It's much less powerful clients who will be hurt uh, down the line. That said, he says the Lincoln Project is entitled to make its case, too. For the California Report, I'm Lily Jamali. And we'll note Jones Day is a KQED sponsor. In 2018, Democrats were elated when they flipped four Orange County congressional seats held by Republicans. But this year, the GOP has managed to claim at least one seat back and appears to be on track to flip another. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has this look. 2016 was the year that folks outside of Orange County started paying attention to the historically red county. For the first time since 1936, more voters in Orange County have chosen a Democrat. Hillary After that win, Democrats saw an opportunity. And two years later, in 2018, with national money and attention pouring in from both parties, the blue wave swept four longtime Republicans out of office. But last week's election made clear this battle is far from over. Fred Smoller is an associate professor of political science at Chapman University. Orange County had a long reputation for being a red county, place where good Republicans came to die. 
John Wayne Airport, all that stuff. We're moving to Purple County, uh, not red, not blue like Berkeley, but um, purple in that there's com- there are competitive elections. Republicans are celebrating this week after Democrat Harley Ruda conceded two days ago to Republican County Supervisor Michelle Steele in the race to represent Huntington Beach in Congress. Northeast of there, Democratic Congressman Gil Cisneros looks unlikely to win his race against Republican Young Kim, though the race has yet to be called. California GOP Chairwoman Jessica Patterson says it is a comeback for the party. We worked incredibly hard. Candidates matter. Infrastructure matters. And, you know, we just, you know, we thought that we could win some seats back on the congressional side. And so far, so, so good. But that's not to say that Orange County is suddenly safe Republican territory again, according to Patterson. It has turned into quite the battleground. Countywide, it's easy to see how much that's true. Even though Democrats lost ground in Congress, they flipped two state Senate seats in the area. And Joe Biden is carrying Orange County by nine points and outpacing President Trump even in the congressional seats the GOP won. State Democratic Party Chairman Rusty Hicks says even though the demographics of Orange County are moving in Democrats' direction, it's becoming more Latino, less white, and younger, the party is not taking anything for granted. The seats that we picked up in 2018 were hard hard fought then, and they're hard fought now. Uh, And I truly believe that they will be hard fought in, in two years. Smoller, the political science professor, predicts more of this flipping back and forth between the parties in the future. Ruta, for one, has already announced he will challenge Steele in 2022. Obviously, any freshman who wins by, you know, less than one point in the case of uh, Michelle Steele, they will have to be very careful. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, everyone in Congress, but particularly a freshman, are going to be looking over their shoulders. It seems like in the near term, voters in Orange County should get used to all the attention. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. A Californian is about to break a color barrier in space. On Saturday, a SpaceX rocket is scheduled to lift off from Cape Canaveral, heading to the International Space Station. The four-person crew includes pilot Victor Glover, a California native born in Pomona and a graduate of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Glover will be the first African-American participating in a long-duration space mission, spending six months aboard the space station. Before the launch, Glover talked about the importance of his wife in children to the success of his mission. My goal in this entire endeavor was to make sure that it continued to be a family adventure, that they look back on this time with fondness. And so I really want them to enjoy this and to, and to dig into the feel their role in it was so important, which it is. 
astronaut Victor Glover. His crewmates on Saturday's launch include NASA's Shannon Walker and Mike Hopkins and astronaut Soichi Noguchi of Japan's space agency. Next year, state lawmakers will consider legislation that would decriminalize psychedelic drugs. The bill's author, State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco, says he believes all drugs should be decriminalized, and his legislation is just one more step towards that goal. The war on drugs ha has resulted in a massive investment in law enforcement, in arresting, in prosecuting, and in prisons. For what? For nothing. In fact, it's been a negative because we have harmed so many families and so many communities. Uh, we need to just shake up the Etch-a-Sketch and start all over again and take a science-based approach and a health approach, which is what drugs and addiction are about. Wiener says psychedelics could help people for things like depression and PTSD. And Wiener is already looking ahead to additional steps in this effort, including reintroducing legislation to establish safe injection sites after earlier attempts failed and received pushback from the Trump administration. The city of Oakland has already decriminalized psychedelic mushrooms, and just last week, voters in Oregon passed two new measures, loosening restrictions around both psychedelics and small amounts of harder drugs like cocaine and heroin. And finally this morning, a big key to fighting wildfires is finding out where they start. To help with that effort, 610 fire monitoring cameras have been installed in remote areas across the state of California. Called Alert Wildfire, the camera system was developed by Scripps Institution of Oceanography in La Jolla, the University of Nevada, Reno, and the University of Oregon. On a clear day, each camera can detect fires up to 60 miles away. On a clear night, up to 120 miles away. Firefighters say the cameras help them find the ignition location of wildfires within seconds. The system is partly funded by CAL FIRE and utility companies. And that is the California Report for Thursday, November 12th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now, with 770 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 